This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Frozen four time again. Eyes on Tampa tomorrow. Number one ranked Minnesota facing off against BU. That is matchup number one. Matchup number two, Quinnipiac taking on number three ranked Michigan Wolverines. Someone who knows college hockey all too well. Is also and knows the NHL all too well as well as see uh, the VP of Hockey Development and Strategic Collaboration with the NHL. He is Kevin Westgarth, and he joins me now. Kevin, how are you today, pal? Not too bad, Merrick. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting itchy here to watch some Frozen Four tomorrow. <laughs> um, this is always top of mind for me. Uh, I really. Really enjoy it. It can it continues. I mean, college hockey just continues to get better and better and better. And you know, I'm old enough to be uh, saying things like, "I believe it was Red Berenson who was the first college player <laughs> to make it to the National Hockey League." And now we're talking about college hockey players more and more and more. And you know, before we get into the Frozen Four, um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about about your time at Princeton. What college hockey was like for you? Uh, why you made that choice? I mean, good Canadian boys got to go play junior hockey yeah. somewhere. Uh, doesn't go to doesn't go to the book learning NCAA. Uh, <laughs> why you made that choice, and and what Princeton and, and hockey at college was like for you? Yeah, uh, thanks. It was it was uh, it is an exciting time of year and uh, kind of fun to you know think about my time. I never got very close to the Frozen Four, but um, absolutely loved my college experience and. Um, yeah, it was, you know, everybody has their own kind of uh, values and equations that they're working with. My, the big, the biggest part of mine was I wasn't very good at 16 and 17, so major junior wasn't really <laughs> in the cards. <clears throat> but thankfully around then I, I grew seven or eight inches, and that seemed to help for some reason. Yeah. Um, ed- education was also incredibly important. My parents were veterinarians, so it was, um, yeah, just trying to, um, yeah, be able to kind of continue both of my futures, both on and off the ice. And the cool thing, you know, sitting uh, where I am now, kind of having strategy and relationships and trying to work with our development leagues, which is kind of AHL, minor pro, all down through uh, junior hockey, including college, um, yeah. it is it, that there's there's a lot of great paths to, to becoming a great player, again, both on and off the ice. And seeing what uh, the CHL leagues have done and the USHL, like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of bad options out there. And obviously some really great hockey players coming out of all those, uh, all those different pathways. You know what I look at now? It's interesting, Kevin. The one thing that I look at now, and I see this every time I go to a junior game, every time, like when I watch the Frozen Four tomorrow, when I, you know, go to a top prospects game, or really just go watch, you know, minor hockey or youth hockey, you know what really stands out for me? It's one question. Where did the bad skaters go? Where did the, the bad skaters have all vanished We're talking now, to each Kevin? other on the... Everybody... <laughs> We're talking to each other on the radio here. That's what we're doing. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Yeah, maybe, I mean, you might be right. Yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a <laughs> beer leaguer, so I know what you're talking about. I hear you. Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Same, same here, man. Um, everybody ends up in the beer leagues, right? So um, now it is it is amazing to see to see that. I, I mean, even being when I was out of the NHL seven or eight years ago, and some of these games I watch now, but. 
sure people out there might have their opinion that I, I, I didn't belong on the ice back then, but uh, hopefully most people uh, appreciated what I brought to the game. But yeah, I mean, watching these guys now, it's it's such a high pace, high skilled action, and I think we're going to see it um, for sure this weekend at the Frozen Four. I mean, this is crunch time. Oftentimes, the hockey world is playoffs are ramping up elsewhere. We've got some champions already on the women's side in college hockey. The PHF, PWHPA have both mm-hmm. finished up. And, yeah, just like everything kind of going on uh, full cylinders. So it will be pretty awesome to see some of these guys uh, competing out there Thursday. And God willing for some of them Saturday for the championship. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of exciting storylines, especially I'm sure in Toronto. There might be a player that you're kind of looking yeah. at closely who might just be able to bring an extra long weekend bag and stay down there and meet the Leafs down well, there. Well, I, I was going to say pack, pack an extra suitcase. This is like, this is kind of like, um, you know, NHL players who think they might be on the move around trade deadline time, but the team is <laughs> on the road. It's like, how much luggage did you bring on this trip? You've, you've seen that before, <laughs> Kevin, I'm sure. And, you know, Maple Leafs fans are wondering about Matthew Nyes. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I think... Um, I think Montreal Canadiens fans are really curious here about Lane Hudson and whether he yeah. goes back for another year. Is he ready to turn pro? Like, the more that you watch him, like, you know, records are falling. This kid looks fantastic. <laughs> you know, of, of, of some of the names, I'll just throw a few names out at you and, and whatever comes off the top of your mind, let, let us know. I mean, Adam Fentilli um, has distinguished Amazing. himself. I mean, it's going to be either him yeah. or probably Leo Carlson is number two after Connor Bedard and Rutger McGroarty as well. We should probably throw him into the mix too. So of those four, McGroarty, Fantilli, Nyes, Hudson, you know, who are you most curious about here, Kevin? I mean, uh, I, well, certainly Fantilli, as you mentioned, is, is kind of, I don't know if it's quite lapped the rest of the pack, uh, but obviously had a great season, led scoring in college hockey as a draft-eligible player, which doesn't happen very often. So now certainly watching Michigan is going to be um, exciting for, for a lot of people. Um, but then you got Matt Nyes, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for Leafs fans. Like, um, I think he, you know, there's been chatter as always, a lot of chatter around pretty much everything, but uh, you know, a big body that looks like he might fit really well as part of this uh, that this high flying Leafs team. So, like you said, uh, there's there's no shortage, and, and yeah, Rucker uh, McGroarty should be great in Winnipeg. But I appreciate you bringing up Lane Hudson. I, he really kind of came to prominence for me um, as we were discussing our EJ McGuire Award, sort of the character and. Um, like some kind of leadership award that we uh, give out at the draft. And he was the recipient last year. So yeah, to see this kid have the success he's had, knowing the kid and the family, I've gotten to meet him a couple of times, just like really excited for him and the Canadians, obviously putting together a nice uh, little college career and hopefully can translate that, uh, you know, sooner or later at the right time uh, up in Montreal. Well, tell us about him then. I mean, you know him a lot better than I do, than than most of, if not all of our listeners slash viewers. What should we know, Kevin Westgarth, about Lane Hudson, the defenseman? I think, well, I mean, you can't. He's not not a big guy, uh, but uh, I I think of uh, like a Ryan Ellis type. Obviously, got um, some very good skill, excellent skater, can move the puck very well. Kind of all the classic things you want and. Um, as I said, kind of just kid that seems to ooze with, uh, you know, just wanting to do the right thing. And um, I'd say that that 
no award was obviously a nice uh, a nice pat on the back, but uh, to continue uh, his college hockey career in that way this year, it sounds like you know obviously obviously it's going well, and I think that those intangible pieces um, you know are are incredibly important uh, to winning locker rooms and uh, excited to see what it brings to the Canadians at some point here. Let me ask you about um, let me ask you about arenas. Uh, I've always wanted to go. I've never been. It, it, for whatever reason, it's always escaped me. Um, both my kids have been there a couple of times uh, to see games. <laughs> I've never been to Yoast. I've always been to Yoast. Ah, I've always nice. wanted to go to Yoast. I mean, it looks great. The atmosphere is so cool. All my friends have gone. Colleagues have gone. <laughs> I feel like the ultimate thumb on the hand. Like, what do you, what's going on here, Mark? You haven't been to Yoast. But what were some of the some of your favorite college rinks, either when you played or or now in your in your capacity with the NHL? I mean, yeah, Yoast. I I fortunately grew up just across the border from uh, Ann Arbor and Detroit. <clears throat> so was able to get over there once in my youth. And yeah, it is a pretty cool place. Uh, and, and I mean, as a proud Princeton alum, I can't help but uh, give a little credit to the Hobie <laughs> Baker rink on Princeton campus. Yep. Just celebrated, celebrated its uh, century mark, which I don't, <laughs> I don't think a whole lot of arenas anymore can, can say. So it's been around for a hundred years and, yeah, obviously very special to me, but um, it, it, I, I kind of, I, so playing in the ECAC, which is basically a very Northeast, the uh, six Ivy League teams, so kind of Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Brown, yep. and, uh, uh-oh, what did I miss? Oh, Cornell. Jeez, I better not miss Cornell. <laughs> Big, and, red. Um, Big Red, and, let's go. And Big Red. Other, exactly. And kind of six other teams in uh, kind of New York, uh, kind of Northeast area. So it was uh, a very cool place to play because a lot of the colleges did have like maybe more, yeah, basically more historic, like Appleton up at St. Lawrence was was a cool barn. Um, mm-hmm. Haven't been there in a bit, but I just remember it was like all this dark wood and and uh, the whale, as they called it, in, uh, at Yale was mm-hmm. just this beautiful building, like love the architecture and Memory serves. I think we actually did. We didn't do well against a whole lot of a lot of teams when I was at Princeton, but uh, we tended to do pretty well at Yale. So, and then as I almost forgot, Cornell playing up in Ithaca was, yeah, that's like going into you know Chicago or Toronto or Montreal in the playoffs, and you you know you're the you know you're the enemy very quickly. <laughs> and you must it must be neat like on the sheet too. It's like. You know, Ken Dryden skated here. You know, Joe Newen oh, yeah. skated. Like you start to think of all the all the names that have that have shared the sheets. Um, you know, I'm, Doug, I'm always Doug curious Murray. about Doug Murray, the big Doug Murray. Um, <laughs> big Doug one Murray. of the great, Sorry. tough, big, strong defensive. Now, oh. didn't he create some? I think when he was, I think when he was there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he create like some? Uh, some like uh, beer tap or some uh, unique beer keg. Like he's a really smart guy. Like he was a hockey player and he was also you know entrepreneur, creator, etc. Came up with some like new version of a keg or a way to drink beers. I cannot remember. You know, we had I, on on market a few years ago. That that makes perfect sense, and I I have a similar kind of fuzzy memory. And it, knowing Dougie, he yeah always had you know ten different irons and fires and. Uh, that sounds about right. That's also <laughs> amazing, amazing uh, connections. It's my brother, Brett Wesker, who I got to play hockey with at Princeton, actually, for three of the years. 
um, he was an engineer, and that actually was one of his projects. I believe he ended up calling it a keg ferry, and it was a kind of self, um, like self-powered or self. Um, basically, hooked up a, a carbonated or a carbon dioxide container to it, so it like pumped itself. He didn't have to pump the keg anyway. So you know, maybe that sounds, maybe that, Dougie that, that, and his brother actually right. ended up yeah. getting together on that. Yeah. Uh, let's see, college hockey players who are also beer entrepreneurs. Shocking that those two <laughs> yeah. come together. Um, I think that's let, a list ask, on you know, I, I was, Wikipedia. I, was, <laughs> I think so, too. Let me, uh, let me close on this one. Um, when we talk about development leagues, uh, right now I reported this on Hockey Night on Saturday. Um, the BCHL is looking to leave Hockey Canada. There's a vote sometime uh, in May, and I know there's different meetings, and uh, they're hoping to get insurance, and if they do, they can push that vote sooner. And the idea being that uh, they create a essentially a, a super league or a, a, a junior A hot house league for players that want to go the college route. Maybe it's a way to keep some Canadian kids from going the US, USHL route as well. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of that type of development model? Um, essentially, this is like completely leaving the Hockey Canada system and creating essentially what would become a super junior A league out of the BCHL. Uh, you know, I, working, uh, we, we do remain somewhat agnostic. We want to kind of help and support, obviously, all the different leagues that uh, will be helping develop our players again on and off the ice. Uh, this has been an interesting uh, development. Obviously, the BHL historically is, is an exceptional uh, development landscape, and yes. it seems to be and kind of this, this step that they've taken, you know, certainly stepped on some toes and um there's you know hurt, hurt feelings like uh, believe it or not there are politics in hockey jeff um what and what? <laughs> <laughs> but you know i my hope and what i what i see is i i think everybody's trying to do right at least by the by the players obviously there's there's business components and, and this type of thing and you know it's not unprecedented yeah. that's what the chl did league did leagues did uh a while ago both 35 40 years ago and uh, God willing, we can all kind of continue to work together in the right way. Obviously, as this gets sorted out, we'll we'll adjust as needed. And I don't uh, I try to stay out of the prognostication game, but um, yeah, it does. I mean, those kids coming to college and with the Frozen Four this weekend, like it is, it's a it's a cool path to hockey uh, to trying to live your hockey dreams. Like uh, I was mentioning earlier, like yeah. I think it's been cool to see the CHL leagues. Uh, sort of ramp up their support of, you know, scholastic endeavors and provide scholarships. And obviously as the trend um, on the hockey side has gone up in uh, college, like you got all these, about a third of the NHL now comes out of college and, you know, 90, I believe it's 92% of men D1 players and 98% of women inevitably um, graduate from from college at, that play hockey so those are pretty those are numbers that we we are very proud of um, it's always in the top kind of one to three um, of all across all NCA sports so just knowing that uh, that is a great developed pathway you're going to be able to you know have a shot at playing in the big leagues while also kind of taking care of your future off the ice as well that's pretty great and as I said I obviously had a great experience I got my degree. Met my wife there, 
Uh, met some of the best awesome. lifelong friends I could ask for and got to play college hockey. It was a pretty, pretty, pretty great cool, experience. And I'm sure. Pretty, yeah. Pretty, it, uh, I love I love hearing numbers like that, Kevin, because it's uh, I always try to remind uh, other kids or certainly hockey parents of uh, the one thing that was pounded in my brain years and years ago, uh, and that is use hockey, don't let hockey use you. And it looks as if there are a lot of smart kids uh, that are using hockey to help uh, get themselves a college degree. Wish we had more time out of it. Um, thanks yeah. as always. Look forward to the Frozen Four. Continue to success, and uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thanks so much for doing this, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I thought you were going to introduce me as your your co-star of Ice Guardians, but I guess you know next time we'll we'll figure out that. <laughs> we'll do a whole special on the whole podcast on that somewhere Perfect. down there. You were great in that, by the way. I hope that I made oh, some sense. You too. Sense. Anyway, oh, we're up against the uh, no, up against the crunch. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Kevin Westgarth uh, from the NHL previewing the Frozen Four. Got to hit it. Hour two is coming up next. Jamal Mayers in a moment. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you along today. Welcome to our two of the show coming up. Bottom of the hour, Haley Salvian from The Athletic and Hockey Central 960 will get on the Calgary Flames page. It is a must-win game for the Calgary Flames tonight after squandering one last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. They face off against the Winnipeg Jets, a team they are chasing for that final wildcard spot. The Jets could do themselves a world of good tonight. Uh, win this game not only do they create a four-point gap, but they nail all the tiebreakers, too. Ouch. Tough one if you're a Calgary Flames fan. Uh, kicking off the hour, Jamal Mares joins me from the NHL on Sportsnet. Jamal, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Absolutely. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. You have a, uh, a quick thought on this, uh, this game we're going to see tonight. It's uh, the Calgary Flames, the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you've been part of situations like this. Uh, you've been part of teams that have you know, played spoiler, case in point, Chicago last night against the, the Calgary Flames. Um, this is one of those games where the Calgary Flames, like I was describing it in the first hour, as the season's on life support and Daryl Sutter's just desperately trying to keep, uh, you know, to keep the extension cord plugged into the wall as uh, the Winnipeg Jets are looking to pull it out. Do you have a thought on, A, how we got here, and B, what you look for tonight? Well, it's it's kind of interesting. Both teams uh, following, you, you could argue, you know, how did this happen to Calgary and, and, and all the changes that they made in the offseason? And, and, you know, a lot of us had them at the top of the table in the Western Conference, and it just, just hasn't been. It hasn't been there for them offensively. I, I think defensively they've been okay. The goaltending, you know, we know that Markstrom hasn't been himself. He's been better of late. Um, but they yeah. really haven't found their footing in how they want to create offense. They're a volume-first offense. They just want to get pucks and bodies to the net. I'm not sure that they're built to do that necessarily. And it's my, probably the reason for me why they've struggled all season long. What's most concerning to me is the lack of desperation, the lack of passion 
uh, in a game that was a must-win situation. You could argue that they looked past the Chicago Blackhawks who coming in had lost eight in a row. That's an excuse. Uh, there's no reason to look past. You have to take every single game, game by game. You're, as you mentioned, their season was on life support. Um, so now we yeah. enter, last night to me was a must-win, and now you enter a game against Winnipeg. And if you're Winnipeg, it's like, let's end their season. That's the focus. And um, let's jump yeah. on them early. They played last night. Let's kill their spirit by jumping on them early, getting an early goal, and let's give them that here-we-go-again feeling. And for the Jets, you know, two months ago I was talking about they might win the Western Conference, and then they've kind of faltered. I, I, <laughs> I feel like they yeah. bought into they bought in yeah. defensively, and now they're not doing the things well defensively. And Hellebuck had his struggles. He's certainly got his form back. Um, moving Shifley to the wing is more an indication of his unwillingness uh, to play on the defensive side of things. And, and you know, I still like Winnipeg, but, again, they, they have an opportunity, and I'm interested to see what they do. Uh, they, have a, they have a chance to knock the door down. And this team w- will change in the next year or so. If they like their group, they better get it together. Well, that, that that's the thing about it, too. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got us to that point, Jamal. There's, um, like, I look at the Winnipeg Jets right now, and we look at all the, you know, contracts that are going to expire um, after next season. You mentioned Mark Shifley. There's one. You think about Blake Wheeler. Uh, there's two Niederreiters deal. We all know what the deal is with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's a restricted, and we all know where, where he wants to end up. That was made quite evident last year uh, around the draft. And Connor Hellebuck's contract um, uh, expires at the end of next season as well. You know, I don't know that there's much reason to believe that many, if any, um, stick around uh, after after next season. So it does very much, at least to me, I'm curious on your thoughts on this one, this kind of feels like the last hurrah for this group. Like there'll be players that will, you know, be, be past this certainly, but, you know, I don't know that uh, we'll think that Mark Shifley is long-term or Blake Wheeler is long-term or Connor Hellebuck is long-term. The way it feels to me, Jamal, is this is the last shot for the playoffs for this group of hockey players until they turn it over fully to, you know, the Josh Morrissey and even younger Cole Perfettis of the Winnipeg Jets. How do you feel about this team? Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, it's funny, like five years ago, we we, we were all thinking that this team was going to contend, and I, I'm sure they felt the same. Um, I, I have to think that, you know, they want to end on a good note. And, it, and at the end of the day, even if it is for selfish reasons, uh, the better you do in the playoffs, the more money you make. <laughs> you want to extend your career. Sure. You want to be des- desired in the open market. Go into the playoffs and play well, and go deep into the playoffs. So, even if there's their their motivation uh, individually is selfish, there's no better way to help yourself than to get into the playoffs and go deep and do some damage, which I think this team with Hellebuck could do. They were, uh, you know, last two months ago, one of the top teams in the, in the conference. And the Western Conference, look at it. It's just open. No one wants to take a hold of it. So, I mean, to think about the yeah. fact that 
it's possible. Obviously, Vegas has played amazingly well the last few months. But beyond them, like yep. Dallas has kind of faltered. The, the Central's up for grabs. Colorado might sneak in there and take it. Uh, you know, it's it, there's opportunity for, for teams. And I think that you look at a team like Minnesota. For me, they're the dark horse. Like, no one's really worried about Minnesota, but they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Yep. And the reason why I bring all this up is because if I'm in that locker room for the Jets, I'm saying, forget all the crap that happened. Let's think about our formula for success. And when we're playing our best hockey for stretches at the beginning of the year, we're a good team. And so let's get back to that. We don't have to get back to that for, for forever, but if we get back to that to end the season, we're going to be playing the right kind the right way. And no one's going to want to play us in the first round. So that should be their focus because mm-hmm. you're right. This group will not be together as it's currently constructed either this summer or, or for sure midway through the year next year. I know this is a case of, you know, ifs and buts. And what's the old saying? Ifs and buts were candies and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas. But if Dustin Bufflin were still patrolling the blue line for the Winnipeg Jets, do you think we'd be even having this conversation about an underachieving Winnipeg Jets team? I, th- I think that that was, you know, Bufflin, Bufflin walking away was the beginning of the end of this version of the Winnipeg Jets. And, man, maybe I just I spend so much time thinking about Bufflin because he's one of my favorite hockey players, but I can't help but thinking everything would be different if Dustin Bufflin were still there. Agree or disagree? I think that's a fair statement, but it can't be left alone because what we're, what we're not acknowledging is that there were serious issues in that room. And whether it's personalities, leadership, uh, I think it came to a head last summer and that things were not weighted properly in that room. And I think that Buff uh, recognized that. I think that he had his pulse on that and didn't and, and didn't want to be. Uh, I just don't think that. I think there are some issues in that room that didn't get flushed mm-hmm. out. Um, they may still exist, but I think that um, he was a guy who who didn't really stand for it and. And I agree with you. He was a strong personality. He's a guy who did things his way. I mean, who, who in their right mind walks away from that much money? Buff does. He, he, he didn't care. And uh, his happiness was more important, and, and you have to respect that. Uh, you do. Um, Calgary Flames, Winnipeg Jets tonight. This one is absolutely huge. Pre-game gets underway 7 o'clock Eastern. The puck drops just after... 7:30. Other big headline last night, and you can explain. You played in the NHL. You can explain this dynamic uh, to our listeners slash viewers. So it's the biggest game of the season last night for the Buffalo Sabers. With a win against the Florida Panthers, they would control their destiny. They would control their fate. They would have two hands on the wheel. And they choose to start Devin Levi. Now th- they didn't lose the game because of Devin Levi. He was exceptional. He was wonderful. Uh, but up until then, he had played exactly, checks, notes, one NHL game. 
I know this isn't a time to get your nose out of joint if you're a professional athlete, but these are all human beings and these are all proud individuals. These are proud hockey players. What is the message that that sends to the other goaltenders, Uka Pekalukanen, uh, Eric Comrie, and what's the message that it sends to the rest of the dressing room when on the most important night of the season, you're starting the kid who only has one game NHL experience? I mean, am I making too much of this? You've played. Uh, you know the dynamics. What's the message here, Jamal? I, I think it's a... I have to think it was a decision that was in some ways influenced above the coaches um, because as a player, uh, I would be furious. Um Okay. Because heading into the game, that's the last thing we need to be worried about or questioning or thinking about, or is he going to, is he not? Like, there's so many things that go into your focus, and so anything that's a distraction from that, uh, you know. And he played well. He played well. But at the end of the day, he lost the game. Yep. And, you know, so it, it, and it, I get it. Maybe they've, as an organization, they've made the determination that that uh, they're comfortable with it, that it's more important to establish these last few games versus, like, making a real strong concerted push. But if you're in that room, uh, you're not happy. You're not happy. And I can't, you can't sugarcoat it. You're not happy because until you're physically, like, mathematically eliminated, you're you're battling as though there's still a chance. And so... Anything that pulls away from that, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to take as a player, and it, it'll, they don't. They're probably not even as mad as they will be come uh, April twentieth when they're sitting at home watching the first round, thinking, "Why did we do that?" Uh, that's that's a tough one. Hmm. Do you have a thought of what we're seeing in the Eastern Conference race here right now? I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins, sometimes they look like world beaters. Other times they, they don't belong in the rank. Last night they get shelled by the New Jersey Devils uh, by a final score of 5-1. to one. I know the Penguins on the road are a tough look. Um, they really don't do well on the road at all. Uh, the Florida Panthers now have won four games in a row. They have the first wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. And then there's this curious case of the Islanders. You know, we thought the Islanders were going to be all, you know, going into this weekend, this past weekend, that they were tucked away and then they get blasted by Tampa. They get shaded by the Carolina Hurricanes. And all of a sudden, their season is very much in question here. So we're looking at, you know, the Penguins, the Panthers, the Islanders, technically the Buffalo Sabres. You know, technically they're still in this thing, but that was a crushing loss yesterday. Um, do you have your? Do you have a thought or two on what we're seeing right now in the wild card race in the East? Which, thankfully, by the way, Jamal, I'm just glad we have a wild card race that we have because last year everything was wrapped up outside of seeding uh, by Christmas time. So, hallelujah, we have a wild card race here. Do you have a thought on the three main principles here: the Penguins, the Islanders, and the Panthers? Yeah, I'm going to go on a on a whim. I have to think that the Penguins find a way. Uh, I didn't like the effort they put out last night, obviously against New Jersey, uh, getting shellacked like that. But New Jersey's a great team. Uh, but I have to think that didn't yep. Sydney and they will find a way to get them in. Um, I also really do believe that the Panthers will get in, and and I, I have to put my money on on um, Matthew and and. And in that group, 
they don't want to become the fourth team to win a President's Trophy and not make the playoffs the next year. And then, so what does that leave us? That leaves us with the Islanders. And I know everyone says, how can you go against Sorokin and, and, and everything else? Uh, I'll be honest. I don't like the way they play, uh, you know. And so I think they're the ones that mess. And so that's what I'm going with. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, I think the Panthers get in and the Penguins find a way to get in. Although the Penguins didn't give me any reason to think this, but I, I just can't bet against Sydney. <laughs> I'm with you, though. Although, man, they look... You know, especially in the second half, they look so different on the road than they do at home. It is night and day. Um, it is chalk and cheese. They look profoundly different uh, when they're on the road versus uh, versus at home. Um, the Edmonton Oilers hit the century mark. We'll, we'll finish up on this one. The Oilers hit the century mark uh, in back-to-back seasons last night. They beat the Los Angeles Kings. I'll tell you, man, I am looking forward to that first-round matchup. I like it when there are two teams that are, A, highly skilled, and, B, I'll just be blunt, hate each other. You know, when you see Connor McDavid taking runs at Mikey Anderson, you know there's legit heat between the two squads. Uh, Give me seven games of L.A. and Edmonton again. Thank you very much. Do you have a thought on just how good Edmonton is? I mean, we know about Connor. We know about Leon. You know, very quietly, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having an outstanding season for them. thought Ekholm was a great pickup. I know people are hot and cold on the goaltending, but Jamal, where are you at? on the Edmonton Oilers? Uh, I'm really high in the Edmonton Oilers. I think that it was a brilliant move to get at home. I think that elevates Bouchard's play and, and really allows him to do what he does so well uh, as far as on the power play and and just offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the voice, the calming influence, the physicality, the, the, uh, the, the um, desperation of understanding that I played a long time and it doesn't come, these opportunities don't come around very often. It's always helpful to have guys like that in the room that can give you context for younger players. It, Darnell Nurse being freed up to be who he's going to be, to be his best self. Perhaps he was asked to do too much and we've always been a little just underwhelmed in a lot of ways in, in his play, maybe because he has been asked to do too much. Um, and then you look at what Connor has done this year and it, it, I think it would be disappointing if they don't get to the conference final. The West is up for grabs. Connor needs to make a statement in his in his career. I've been a huge advocate. I don't think uh, anyone's listening as far as the, the coaches for Edmonton, but I think that they, that they've got to convince Drysdale to match up against the other team's top line to take on more of a defense, not a defensive role. Just, I just mean he's so good and strong and, and effective. If he could, like, neutralize and outperform the other team's top line and free up Connor to do Connor-like things, this is when that team takes that next step. So the ask for me, if I were coaching the team, would be, listen, Leon, we need you to take on this role in the playoffs, and you're still going to get your cookies on the power play, but you're going to shut down the other yeah. team's top line. We're going to match you up head to head, and 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 we're going to win a cup if you if you're willing to do that. That that would be my message, and uh, uh, I'm excited to see what they do. Uh, this one should be a good series. Uh, right now, the Oilers have won five games in a row. They beat the Los Angeles Kings last night. So right now, uh, they have home ice advantage should the season start tonight. Uh, Jamal, thanks as always, pal. Continued success. You're killing it. Uh, great to see. Great to hear. Thanks so much for parking some of your day with me today. Much appreciated.
Oh, tons of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks. Jamal Mayers uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet. Um, his take from what's going on around the NHL right now from the Eastern Conference uh, wildcard race to just how good the Edmonton Oilers can be to... I thought that was pretty interesting um, when talking about Devin Levi and that decision uh, to go with a kid with only one game experience. And he says, point blank, if I'm a player, I'm pissed. If I'm a player, I don't like it. Now, Levi played great. Make no mistake about it. That was the right choice by Don Granato. But going into it, those players have worked a lot to get to that spot. Um, Don Granato is one of those coaches that you know, and generally he's right more than he's wrong. Uh, can go by feel, and that was the feel. And it was—I don't think it was a difference in the game. Um, the difference in the game was a great tip by Matthew Kachuk, who, by the way, just as an aside, I think bringing Matt Marchese on this one, our producer, um, Matty, uh, Elliot, and I were talking about this yesterday, and we've talked about this a little bit as well. Connor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy. The only question is. Is, it, is he a unanimous choice? Or does someone go hipster and not take Connor McDavid, for, uh, uh, number one, for the Hart Trophy? So the race is for number two. Considerations there would include Jason Robertson. Considerations there would be Leon Dreisaitl. I would also throw Matthew Kachuk into that mix. What do you think about that, Matt Marchese? 100%. I think that... I, I believe that there was a thought by some that maybe not a complete mirage, but that Matthew Kachuk's offensive performance last year was not quite like he, he's hotline. not going to reach that again. Right. And I'm, and I'm looking at it going, okay, I mean, a hundred, a hundred plus points isn't, it's not easy to do, but then you look at Matthew Kachuk and just what he's brought to the Panthers. And I mean, that trade looks great for for Florida, obviously, but he's really performed well. And, you know, and, and Barkov has, has missed a little bit of time this year. And you look at, you know, how he's how he's elevated other players. Like Carter Verhage's got 40 goals this year. Last time I checked, that's pretty good. Sure does. So so you talk about what the Hart trophy <laughs> means as most valuable player. Well, look at what Matthew Kachuk has done with the other guys on that roster i'll tell you jeff the other guy that i would throw into that conversation and it feels like a Mm no-brainer but he has been since january 1st one of the best players along with Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl is nathan mckinnon who had uh, another another, (laughs) mckinnon had another uh another couple points last night and he just all he does (laughs) is just perform and the interesting thing with mckinnon is he's won the cup so he has that that kind of weight off of his shoulders. And now it feels like he wants it even more. He wants to experience that again because he's playing like a man on fire. You know, that's an interesting one. Um, I think you could throw Nathan McKinnon into that conversation. I've always thrown Miko Rantanen into that conversation as well. Like whenever I mention how good Miko Rantanen has been for Colorado, I get tons of tweets about why he's sleeping on Nathan McKinnon dummy. Uh, and that's and that's fair, um, completely fair. If you look at the uh, the injury situation this year with the Colorado Avalanche and keeping their head above water and what they're able to do without Gabriel Landeskog and he still hasn't played a game and what they've been able to do to the injuries uh, with the injuries of, you know, Kale McCarr, for example, to say nothing of some of the turnover that this this team has seen. I'm I'm happy looking at a strong number two for, for Nathan McKinnon. I think Jason Robertson's right there, David Pasternak. Um, for whatever reason, we always sleep on Nikita Kucherov. All he's done is put up 106 points, right? Yeah, All he's done good. is put up 106 points. He's just 
phenomenal. One of the best shooters, passers, playmakers, all of it um, in the NHL. I, I think that there's, I think that there's a bunch here. I think there's a bunch of players you can make the case for. I always want to throw goaltenders into the uh, into the Hart Trophy mix. Uh, last year, I had Shosturkin number one. Sorry, Connor McDavid. I had Shosturkin number one. I mean, this year, uh, how do you even come close to, to not putting Connor McDavid in at number one? I'm I'm willing to listen to people that want to do it. I just don't know that I would agree. Um, unless you want to go really, really micro with the definition of the uh, of the Hart Trophy, and and that's fine. Um, but this is this is going to be one of the most interesting races to number two, like you know when the ballots get revealed at the end of the at the end of the uh, uh, at the end of the awards. There's no greater number two that I'm interested in than the Hart Trophy. It's almost as if who gets number two is more interesting than who gets number one. Because number yep. one is already wrapped up, and number one has been wrapped up for a long time now. I mean, he's going to win the Hart Trophy, and we're all going to go yawn. Boring. We knew that. No one's had a season. We should appreciate it. Um, we should look at it with awe, because what Connor McDavid is doing is remarkable. Um, but I think the real intrigue here is who's going to be number two in the voting? Like, I haven't sat down. Like, that's one of the trophies that I vote on. I haven't sat down and, and, and gone through all of it, whether it's uh, forwards, defense, uh, or netminders. But Connor's going to be number one. To me, the, in, the interesting choice is going to be who's number two. And I haven't really weeded that out yet. But it'll be a, it'll be a fascinating one. And, and I think you're right. I think Nathan McKinnon's going to be in that conversation, clearly. Yeah. Uh, so you, speaking of Colorado, and you talked about the injuries. Um, I know for the Jack Adams, it's been a lot of conversation about Jim Montgomery, and it should be. Um, There's some other names that have kind of been in that conversation as well. But for me, I think that that Jared Bednar should absolutely be in the conversation for the Jack Adams. You talked about the injuries and what this team has had to deal with, plus coming off of a year where they won a Stanley Cup. Like, there is... You know, sometimes there is a little bit of a letdown for teams, but the fact that they've had to deal with all these mm-hmm. injuries, they haven't had their captain the whole season. They missed Josh Manson for time. Uh, McKinnon's missed time. Go down the list. Kale McCarr. And this guy probably has this team going on to win the Central Division. When there was a point where I thought that they were going to be in the wild card mix, and now you look at Jared Bednar and the work he's done, very underrated, and he was rewarded with uh, an extension a couple weeks ago. Here's another name for you. Lindy Ruff. Yep. And what he's been able to do with the New Jersey... Lindy Ruff, uh, the man who uh, we all can recall at the beginning of the season, uh, the crowd at the Prudential Center all chanting, Fire Lindy. That guy should get some consideration. Right? And and, And a cynic might look at that and say, well, the New Jersey Devils have been really good for a while now. And were really good last season. The problem was they could not get a save. And no matter what they did, it was all undone by bad goaltending. The hero here is Tom Fitzgerald because he solved the goaltending problem with the uh, with the New Jersey Devils. It has nothing to do with the coach. I think Tom Fitzgerald's a big reason why they're good. I also think so is Lindy Ruff. I think Lindy Ruff's in that convo. Absolutely he is. Um, I think that Peter DeBoer is going to be in that conversation with the Dallas Stars. I'm with you on Jim Montgomery. That's uh, that's that's kind of an obvious one here. Let me throw another name out at you. 
as we all thought that maybe last year was a fluke. And last year was just, well, they got in because Vegas was injured. What about Todd McClellan, Los Angeles Kings? Yeah, for sure. And I what mean, about, what about, what? hang on, hang on, this one. What about Dave Hackstall, Seattle Kraken? Oh, for sure. You want to talk about you know, epic? Epic turn epic turnarounds. Look at the Kraken year year over year. I so the Kraken is so interesting because so when I do uh, you know I send you the list of you know the the games list with what happened in the games and whatever and every night. I look yeah. at Seattle and they have like, you know, four or five. The other night they had eight goals and they in the in the game against uh, Arizona, they had eight goals. I think only one player scored two and all but one all but two players had at least a point like they are in terms of scoring. I would be curious to know this information. I don't even know how you quantify it, but they are probably the most balanced team in terms of scoring that I have seen in a long time. Like, I think they're even more balanced than Vegas when they were, uh, when they came into the league. So it's just such a very curious mm-hmm. thing because they don't have the star. Like, Maddie Beneers, you can make the argument is their most talented offensive player and he's got like 50-something points. Uh, Jared McCann's had uh, a great Jared year. McCann. J- J- yeah. Jared McCann. Jared McCann's their top guy. Jared McCann's their top guy. And and so, But this is what I'm saying. There's, these aren't stars. Right, but they are managing like they're gonna. They could very well put up a hundred points this year, and nobody's gonna bat an eye. And I look at them and say, if they can get any sort of goaltending, I think that the way they're built, that they can score on all four lines, mm-hmm. they're not an easy out in the playoffs. They just need to get a save, and Haxtell's a big reason for that. You know, they have, they they have a really. You know, there's there's two teams that I think run their benches really well, and that's Boston, and we mentioned Jim Montgomery, and it's Dallas as well. Uh, with Peter DeBoer. I mean, everything, no one gets, like, no no forwards are getting 20 minutes, and no one's also just playing six or five minutes. Um, and you can say the same thing about how Haxtell runs the Seattle Kraken, to your point about, you know, just rolling out lines and everybody's scoring. And, you know, Daniel Sprong is scoring 20 goals on the fourth line, and, you know, uh, Tolvanen is on the third line snapping in 17 or 18 goals. Uh, as well, and no one's getting 20 minutes, or no one's really getting even close to getting 20 minutes a night. It gets a really evenly balanced team, and that's the way that that Hackstall runs his bench. Um, I I'm gonna I don't vote on that one. Um, I, that that one's gonna be a fascinating one to see where everybody puts the accent, and then I think that there's gonna be some people as well who look at this season and say. Are we really not going to vote for John Cooper again? Like, is John Cooper just going to (laughs) continue to not win the Jack Adams? Like, is this just his fate? He'll pile up cups. He'll have one of the best teams of of this or any other generation consistently, 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 and not win the Jack Adams. Like, is that what's going to happen again? Probably will. It probably will because Jim Montgomery might just walk away with this whole thing. But still, another year of saying no to John Cooper. So here, Probably we've, ta- we've talked about this on this show. Unfortunately, a lot of the times, the Jack Adams Trophy is not for the best coach. However, it is for the best story. And that's why, you know, because it's voted on at the end of the regular season, we can't have those same conversations. Because I'll tell you this, there's not very many coaches that are better in the playoffs than John Cooper. Just look at his record. Um and you look at, mm-hmm. you know, players 
like like Andre Vasilevsky, he has won a Vezina trophy, but when it matters, Andre Vasilevsky is one of the best goalies of this generation, maybe ever in the playoffs. So Hands it's down. just such an it's such of an course. interesting yes. dynamic of how these things are handed out, right? Because if we had a conversation about you know, if we're combining regular season and the playoffs, John Cooper would have won it the last three years, if, if, if his memory serves me correctly. Mm-hmm. That's also kind of like saying um, the general manager of the year shouldn't be voted on. Whichever team wins the Stanley Cup, that's the general manager doing his job. Yep. And that's the, that, that's the person that, that, that should win the general manager of the year. I don't personally believe that, but that is, that is one train of thought. Around the uh, around the GM of the year award, the Jim Gregory. You like that one? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Like, but you could make the argument about coach of the year as well. Same thing, right? Yeah. Yep. It's. Uh, do we have a quick email? Oh no, how are, how are we on time here, man? We oh, got, I want to get the Haley. Okay. Um, we we got a bolt. We got to get out of here. Okay. Too wordy. I'm too wordy today. Uh, I told you earlier. I'm fully caffeinated, so I'm in a very chatty mood. Um, I guess that's good if you're doing talk radio. Coming up here after the quick break, Haley Salvian from The Athletic and Hockey Central 960. What is on the line tonight for the Calgary Flames after a disappointing loss to the Chicago Blackhawks? Ouch. Body shot. Oh, those kill. Water in the basement. Water in the basement. The fighter's going down. Calgary Flames looking to keep their season alive against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. Haley Salvian comments in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. The Merrick Show continues. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Have we hyped up tonight enough yet so far? Over the last 90 minutes, we've talked plenty about the Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames tonight. The Winnipeg Jets with a win can do a couple of things. One, create a four-point cushion for the final playoff spot, the final wildcard spot on the Western Conference, and also can nail them the tiebreakers. Calgary Flames coming off a tough loss last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. Here for comment on what we saw yesterday and uh, what we speculate on this evening. And I want to park some time and talk about the women's worlds as well. She is Haley Salvian from The Athletic. And uh, also, we know and listen to her, uh, Hockey Central 960. Haley, how are you today? I'm doing well. I just finished watching Finland and uh, France. Uh, I think there was a gas leak in my building also. Uh so what? a little bit of every yeah oh yeah <laughs> just casual i think it's fine now it's, we'll see <laughs> you do th- you think it's fine well, well we'll see how the interview goes here if you yeah. suddenly start to nod off towards the end a little bit of everything why. today uh, yeah <laughs> i was gonna say you're having a special day Haley. that's uh that's wonderful it's a special time of year and uh well let me ask you so how did uh like finland's an emerging power in women's hockey how did they look yeah. today yeah, well, this is a really unique tournament for Finland because they finished in sixth place last year at the World Championships in Denmark. So they actually got bumped down from the top level uh, in Group A to Group B. 
uh, which is a place that they've never found themselves in since the the restructure of the tournament. It was a yep. really disappointing year last year. Obviously, they lose the placement game to Japan, so they get kind of bumped down, relegated to Group B. They're still in the top tier of the tournament, uh, but you're going to see a Finland team that is highly motivated at getting back onto the podium, getting back up into Group A. They have a way tougher path now that they're coming out of Group B uh, because if they do make a quarterfinal, they're likely going to be playing against Canada or the U.S. in the quarterfinal game. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. They played very, very well against Canada in the pre-tournament game on Saturday. They only lost 3-1. to one. They outshot the Canadians in the first period, kept it tied 0-0. Um, they've got a lot of young players. They have, I think, 18 players under the age of 25. Uh, so basically the entirety of their roster is young, upcoming talent. They've got some real sharpshooters. Petra Nieminen is one of the best players in the world, not just on Finland. So she's a player to watch. Uh, so yeah. Finland looks good. Um, will they get on the podium? I'm not sure. Uh, but I do believe that they will get themselves back into the top five uh, at this tournament, back into Group A, and then get back on the podium next year at the very least. Excellent. Um, let's bracket this and revisit it. Let me yeah. get to Calgary. <laughs> the Flames. Um Jeez, four-game weeks yeah. are always tough, and they bring with them surprises. And the first surprise was a loss against the Chicago Blackhawks, who going into last night's game had lost eight games in a row. And we said, okay, there's the Hawks we've expected all season long. And they go a long way to bursting the Calgary Flames bubble. Tonight, Winnipeg controls it. Winnipeg can really do themselves a ton of uh, a ton of good here by beating the uh, by beating the Calgary Flames. Now, interesting for the Winnipeg Jets, all three of their last games, and they've whipped some teams here. Uh, they're catching teams on on back to backs, and here they are with the Calgary Flames on a back to back. Your thoughts on a what we saw last night, and what you look for tonight at a Daryl Sutter squad? Yeah, well, last night was kind of supposed to be. Like, they had a chance to put themselves in the driver's seat, so to speak, in this playoff race. Winnipeg, for the most part, has been the reason why we're still having this conversation about the playoff race. Like, the Flames have have done well to beat teams like Anaheim and Columbus, but they haven't exactly been great in those games either. The Anaheim game over the weekend was a little too close for comfort. Uh, Same against the Vancouver Canucks. So the Flames have been putting together points. They haven't looked particularly great. Um... And for the most part, as I said, it's been the Jets opening the door for the Flames and the Nashville Predators to kind of get into the conversation, get into the race. And last night, the Flames had a chance to, like, be the ones to put themselves in a good position. All they had to do to tie the Jets in points heading into this big matchup was beat the 32nd place team in the league. (laughs) The team that is... That heading into the game was 311 and 1 with a 233 points percentage in their last 15 after the deadline. They shipped off Kane, Domi, Jake McCabe, Stan Lafferty. Like they are considerably worse than they were after the trade deadline. Uh, and they still beat the Calgary Flames. By the way, they are 3 and 0 now against the Calgary Flames this season. Uh, this was supposed to be a game where. You know, the veterans stepped up. Like, this is a veteran roster, right? Jacob Pelte is not in the lineup. Matt Coronado's not in the lineup. The guys that have been there, done that before, were all playing last night. All the guys that got the big contracts last season, the guys who were supposed to minimize the damage after losing Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau and all the change in the summer, you know, this is supposed to be where the big guns show up to beat, again, the 32nd 
place team in the National Hockey League. And <laughs> and they couldn't do it, Jeff. Like, they couldn't do it. And Markstrom yeah. wasn't good enough last night. Peter Mrazek was the better goalie. That's a problem. He let in two goals in the first. Like, Tyler Toffoli does well to tie it up in the first period. And then Kadri makes a really bad play behind the net. Chicago goes up 3-2. Uh, again, in the third period, like Noah Hannafin ties it up, or I guess it's in the second. Hannafin ties it up. Third period, Kadri makes another really bad play. Chicago goes up again, like just really bad. <laughs> it was almost characteristic of a lot of the problems with the Calgary Flames this season, right? Is goaltending's not good enough. Sure. You're not getting big goals. They can't play well against lesser opponents and the guys aren't who you brought in in the summer haven't been playing as advertised like I look at Kadri last night and it was just the mistakes were so uncharacteristic of the guy who we saw in Colorado last year right he comes back with the broken thumb and gets yep. the game winner he's tough he's a leader he's the emotional heart of the team he's going to show up when it matters that was not the Nazem Kadri we saw last night and, and we haven't really seen that since probably the first couple of weeks of the season in Calgary, like Jonathan Huberto hasn't been as advertised. I think Mackenzie Weger is probably the only yeah. one that has been, and he's been excellent down the stretch uh, for the Calgary Flames after he took a little bit of time to adjust. So just a lot of the things that have been going wrong this season went wrong last night, and this is the time where <laughs> you're supposed to have figured those things out, uh, and you're supposed to just win yeah. this game so you can be in a good spot against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. And now... You know, the Flames can still go into this game and they can still win it. They can take the Jets by surprise. They're playing tired. But, you know, I, I'm not going to – every time I think the Flames are going to zig, they zag. Same with Daryl Sutter here. So who knows? But but what they've done in losing that game is, is they made their margin of error, you know, <laughs> minuscule. Like, if they win tonight, they still need a lot to go right in the final week of the season – to oh, potentially yeah. get that second wild card spot. So it's not great. <laughs> it's not great, Jeff. <laughs> it's not great. And that was, uh, I'll tell you, Haley, that was quite the autopsy there. I'm really impressed. You got the uh, the cadaver gloves on there and dissected this uh, the, this team. That was uh, that was really impressive. And, you know, the, the one thing is I've, like, listen, you're, you, and you, you cover this team game in and game out. You know this a lot better than me. Um when I look at the Calgary Flames, I can't help but thinking to myself, what if, you know, what if one of the players that we saw last season were still on the team? And, and let me ask you this question that I continue to answer or that I continue to ask myself. And, you know, my answer is, is Matthew Kachuk, but I don't want to bias the jury. Yeah. Who do I you mean... think the Calgary Flames <laughs> miss more? Johnny Gaudreau or Matthew Kachuk? I think you. I think it probably depends on the day, right? I think, I think Johnny Gaudreau showed last season that he can be the guy that can step up and score big goals when you need it. I mean, he certainly did that in the playoffs. Like the recency bias for me, I mean, I guess the final play of Johnny Gaudreau's career was like the pretty soft play against the Oilers in the final game of the season. But if we yeah. if we zip back a little bit to the Dallas series, like the the last kind of big memory of Johnny Gaudreau is, is the OT winner to go to the second round for the first time in years. Uh, so top of mind is like, man, you want that goal scoring. You want that playmaking from Johnny Gaudreau. But then you look at Matthew Kachuk and you look at what he's been able to do uh, in Florida. A lot of people said like that guy's never getting to 100 points again. He's not going to do it without Johnny Gaudreau. He's not a play driver on his own. Matthew Kachuk is, 
I hate it because we use it so much, but he is a unicorn. He has the grit. He has the skill. He's got the hands. He's got the shot. He is an emotional leader. He's a vocal leader on and off the ice. I mean, we saw what he said about um, Pride Night uh, in Florida uh, last week. That is the kind of leadership uh, that you are going to get from Matthew Kachuk. And I, you're not, you're not, you know, biasing the jury here, Jeff. Like I wrote a column last year about how like if Matthew like the Flames need to not give anyone the C this year until you figure out what's going on with Matthew Kachuk because if he's gonna leave okay fine but if he's gonna be here he's the captain of this team and and I and I think that you you miss all of the things that Matthew Kachuk brings to the table on this team and like it's probably tough to see like I mean the Florida Panthers were in a very similar spot to the Calgary Flames all year very disappointing they're not good enough. The President's Trophy winners, they've fallen off. What's going wrong in Florida? And, and if you look, like, who has been the driver of them getting into a playoff spot? They are now in the second wild card, Jeff. And who's at, who, who did it? Kachuk. It's Matthew Kachuk. And so if he can do it in Florida, he could probably have done it in Calgary. Like, we're, we're seeing exactly what he can provide for a team that needs a spark and needs a leader and needs a goal. And he's doing that with the Florida Panthers right now. 7 o'clock Eastern this evening, uh, pregame show, 7.30, the puck drops, Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. Let's pick up the conversation about the women's worlds. Um, I think we're all anticipating a Canada-U.S. final once again and all the sidebar issues that come along with that. I'm in love, I think we all are, uh, with the Nat Spooner story. I mean, it's it's wonderful. Um, I mean, I think she's got a, a, a ton of fans already to begin with, and I think this only adds to the adds to the legend. But uh, as we look into this tournament, and you know, we'll see Canada play later on tonight. What's most intriguing for you, Haley? Ooh, it's a good question. I feel like there's a lot of things. Um, I think with Canada. I mean, I think they're the team to beat. I know I'm Canadian, um, but I always try not to be a homer because I'm not just the team Canada reporter. I try to cover women's hockey and the international game as a whole, but I I just feel like Canada is the best team in the world right now. Their record at major international tournaments would suggest that in recent years. Like, we are, they're in the kind of golden years right now with back-to-back world championships, a gold medal in Beijing. And I think what really interests me about Canada right now is I think we're going to see head coach Troy Ryan tried to meld the two kind of identities or playing styles that we've seen over the last few tournaments into one. So if you look back to Beijing, Canada was setting all the offensive records. They're scoring all the goals. They're a powerhouse. They can't be stopped. And then in world championships, people were almost, in in Denmark last year, people were almost disappointed in Team Canada because they weren't scoring as much. And the Americans beat them in the preliminary round. And it's like, okay, well, why aren't they breaking records? What happened to the offense? Why did it dry up? But like what Canada did was show that they can win in a different way. Obviously, they come in, they win in the gold medal game. They're stingy defensively. They don't give up a ton. They're physical on the forecheck. Uh, they're very gritty. And I had a talk with Troy Ryan, and he said, like, what if we could put those th- two things together? <laughs> what if we could be gritty and stingy but also offensive-minded and score big goals? I think we'd be pretty dangerous. And so I think we're going to see like a really interesting Team Canada at this year's tournament where – the offense is still coming. The physicality and the defensive side is still there. Uh, and then we're looking on the other side, you know, as we kind of look ahead and think towards, you know, a, a gold medal game clash against the Americans. And, and this is a very 
you a young and new, excuse me, Team USA. Uh, There's five players making Mm -hmm. their tournament debuts. Five players who were regulars on the roster got cut. Maddie Rooney, Grace Umwinkle, Jincy Dunn, uh, Jesse Comfer, and Hannah Brandt. Uh, They're out. New faces are in. Players who are kind of unknown commodities at this level. So we're going to see this like really interesting clash of almost not a rebuilding Team USA because you can't really be a rebuild when Hillary Knight and Amanda Kessel and Alex Carpenter are holding on to their spot still and playing such good hockey into their 30s. Um, but they've got a lot of young faces. So we're going to see like an evolving stage of Team USA versus this kind of like Goliath in Team Canada with Poulin that keep winning, they keep scoring, they keep finding ways to improve and change the way that they play. Uh, so I think this year is going to be very interesting. I, I think one line, if I could highlight one line for Team Canada, and this is a group of players that has been, you know, kind of underrated on this team. Because we always talk about Poulin and we talk about Fillier. Nat Spooner's back after yeah. giving birth, which is incredible. The third line for Team Canada is probably going to be behind the first line with Poulin and Jenner is probably going to be the mm-hmm. most valuable line at this tournament. Um, they can match up against anybody, and that's Blair Turnbull, Laura Stacey, and Emily Clark. Uh, they are the perfect, like if you think of the perfect third line in the postseason, the NHL, that's, that's Canada's third line. They can play defense. They can forecheck. They can play with that grit, but they can also score big goals and they, they're fast uh, and they can get into the offensive zone. They can transition quickly. Uh, Troy Ryan has done a really good job at like encouraging them to, you know, add that offensive side to their game. Like Blair Turnbull's always been an excellent defensive center, but we're seeing her evolve into somebody who can win the D zone face off, make the big D zone play, and then also go and score a major goal at the right time. So I want to highlight that line as, as one to watch for team Canada. There's a lot to be interested about clearly as I just rambled. Uh, absolutely. For 10 and uh, minutes. <laughs> no, that's you're the one thing I know about you and we all do is you are very thorough and, and that's appreciated here. Uh, but I'm asking, I'm going to ask you to be economical, like about 30 seconds for this one. Perfect. How I much should it. we look at this tournament? You mentioned Marie Philippe Poulin a second ago. How much should we look at this tournament? We know she wants to do one more Olympic cycle. How much should we look at this as the beginning of the victory lap for Marie Philippe oh. Poulin and her career? It's a good question. It's kind of a sad one. I, I guess we could. She's 32 years old. She's still getting better. But but yeah, by the by the time the next Olympics come around in what, three years, two years, she's going to be 35 years old. Mm. I mean, that could be the last one. The 2026 Olympics could be could be the end. So if you're in the GTA and you want to go see Mary Philippe Poulin potentially win Off a gold Brampton. medal on home soil, this will be a good chance to do it. Absolutely. Uh, you're the best, Haley. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. It's, it's always appreciated. Enjoy the rest of the women's worlds, and we'll be watching the Flames and the Jets tonight. Thanks, as always. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one. Haley Salvian from The Athletic and Hockey Central 960, and we got to move. Uh, thanks to Haley for stopping by. Uh, thanks to Jamal Mayers as well from the NHL on Sportsnet. Man, it was good catching up with Kevin Westgarth again, NHL VP of Hockey Development and Strategic Collaboration. Some guy named Friedman kicked off the program as he normally does. Uh, General Nick, thank you. Lance Kennedy, thank you. Matt Marchese, thank you as well. Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern, is the pregame show. Puck drops just after 7.30. Have we mentioned that Winnipeg Calgary is kind of a big one tonight? Maybe just a little bit. Enjoy it. The Jets and the Flames. Jets can do damage. Flames looking to hold on. 
keep the flicker burning if you're Calgary. We'll talk about it tomorrow.